0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Danger on Delmarva. My name is Rhonda Jefferson, and I'll be your host as we explore the dark and winding roads that lead us around the Delmarva Peninsula. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Today, I'm going to do an episode that I thought would be a lot shorter than it's going to end up being. During a conversation with my sister, I'd say about a month ago, this particular case came up for some reason during a discussion, probably something similar had happened. And I decided I wanted to do a like follow-up on what I knew about it. I'd heard about it very briefly in the news, and then it was gone, basically. So I used some keywords. I found the information I was looking for. But because I didn't have the exact information, like a name or anything going in, and I put in more of a general search, I actually found that this particular issue had come up a number of times at the same school district. So I really felt like I couldn't do the one story without covering everything. And before I get into all the details and the topics, I do just want to say that this is a very small percentage of teachers. Most teachers... The vast majority donate so much of their time, you know, where they're late at night grading homework or grading tests, where they're getting the plans ready for the next day. And they're really using a lot of their time outside of the school to prepare for their lessons. And they put their heart into it, also sometimes donating supplies. And, you know, the people I'm going to go over today just represent a very, very small percentage Hopefully, there will be a time where it, you know, there won't be stories like this that hit the news. But as it stands now, we hear about it probably every day. So the numbers may seem like a lot, but when compared to all of the teachers, principals, teachers' aides, staff, and any other worker that is in an educational setting, they all contribute to our children learning. And Unfortunately, we do have to, as parents, as community members, also realize that there are just a handful of people out there who may not have the best of intentions towards our children. So before I get into the topics, I do want to let everybody know the topic that we'll be discussing may be hard for some to hear. I know it was hard to go over thinking what some of these students went through, um, it will include discussion of sexual assault and allegations of such. So I just want everybody to be prepared as we go in to um, the episode. Also, all of my sources will be linked in the description of the episode. We'll be looking at four different cases that took place in the same school district over a course of about nine years. And Five cases if you want to be technical because one was kind of an offshoot of another. Um, all of the victims did not have their names in the newspaper and any articles, of course, except for one. Um, and that's the one that I was actually looking for originally. Even though his name can be found in documents, I am not going to say his full name as well as another name of a person just happens to share a name with another person who was implicated in one of the issues that we'll be discussing, but because this person is definitely not the same one, I can tell by age, pictures, it, it's definitely different. Um, I don't want to put that name out there, so I hope you all understand. Um, you know why sometimes I take a step back and don't necessarily want to put somebody's name out there. So. You know, for the one case, you will see it in the articles if you choose to read them. But um, I'm just going to say the student throughout the course of the episode. I do have links to my um, Facebook page, Twitter. I will say I'm not really a very active Twitter user. Um, sometimes I have a very hard time trying to condense my thoughts into the maximum number of characters. If I could do a 5,000 character Twitter, then maybe I would be okay. But Otherwise, I just find it really difficult to put everything in there. Um, So I might share an occasional article, but Facebook or Messenger is the best way to contact me if you have an idea about a case or a story. I'm actually going to be doing the first time I've ever done this is to put a poll um, on Facebook after I'm done uploading the episode with a question that I just kind of want to get some feedback on and see how people feel about it. Um, So we'll look at that at the end um, once I cover all the stories. Um, I do also have a PayPal and buy me a coffee page um, because sometimes the um, resources and articles as well as um, the podcast hosting, things like that may cost some additional fees. Today's all will, though, be um, accessible through just, you know, Google or the Internet, without having any paywalls, except it maybe you go back and read multiple articles from the same um, newspaper or source. With all that being said, let's get into today's episode. I did mention that all of the episodes will take place within the same school district, but this is not what you would call your regular school district. It's not one that covers just one or two towns. The school district actually covers, and get ready for the list here, Selbyville, Frankfurt, Dagsboro, Fenwick Island, Bethany Beach, Millville, Clarkville, Gumboro, Georgetown, Millsboro, and Oceanview. Now, it covers a lot of land, or I guess you would say acreage, um, for all of those towns. Now, some of them are primarily resort towns where they do have full-time residents, except a lot of times it's more beach visitors that we get in the summer. Um, Georgetown is the um, county seat. So there is a lot of activity in Georgetown, though, um, as there's the courts and a lot of the administration for Sussex County is in Georgetown itself. In a lot of these towns, if you go through them, you'll probably be driving through um, the the highway that goes through there, Route 113, because there's a lot of um, I guess you'd say quick stops along the way. Things like Royal Farms, which is a um, kind of a local convenience store. Same thing with a store called Wawa. You know, the first time I when I was in college up in New York, I mentioned to someone. Do you have a Royal Farms? And they're like, what, excuse me? (laughs) So, yeah, I learned then that it was not everywhere. And for a long time, I think that was one of the major convenience stores we had. But we now have a few Wawa in the area, as well as some other stores, you know, such as supermarkets, things like that. Um, So it's really on 113 or the highway that you'll see you know, most of the commerce for the town. And when you get into the towns, though, they are very homey. Um, some of them are even historic. So it's a very nice place to live. Um, I know my niece actually is getting married at a church in Frankfurt at the end of the month, which now has made me realize it's only a couple of weeks away. Um, so it's really nice and just really welcoming and it's close to the beach. So, you know, if you're local and you're living there, it's, you know, it's nice to have that convenience. And I admit that I take it for granted a lot of times. I've just always lived close to the beach. I don't go there very often, which is kind of a shame considering how close I am. But again, I think we just tend to take it for granted. And it's when we sit back and start thinking about just all the wonders that we have here on Delmarva you know, it makes me appreciative of where I live. Now, you might be wondering, why does one school district have such a large um, area to cover? And that's because, um, for example, Fenwick Island, um, like I said, is kind of like a resort or beach town. They do have permanent residents, but not as many. Same thing with Bethany Beach. Um, you know, Those are the beach areas. And then some of the other towns, like Frankfurt, for example, um, I found the census for a previous um, decade or previous census. Um, It was the 2010 numbers, and there were a total of 847 residents in Frankfurt, and that number had actually increased 18.6% from the 2000 census. So, you know, a smaller local population. So to support, say, an elementary school, a middle school, a high school, for the number of students that might be there, would really be a disservice because they wouldn't have access to as many resources. So all of the areas are kind of pulled together and that has created the Indian River School District. Now, the story that first brought me to this rabbit hole was a story about a young teaching professional. It didn't show that she was a teacher and based on her age, And some of the history, I don't know if she had received all of her teaching certifications, as I couldn't find that in any of the articles, but she had attended at least two years of Delaware Technical and Community College, and that's where a lot of people may go to get a two-year degree or to get some classes in that they'll need before they, you know, go to another university or college to finish up. So... I did also find in the same year that it, um, that Nicole and I'm going to say her last name once, but then from now on it's going to be Nicole um, De She also made a statement, or at least someone having the same name, on the Wilmington University um, reviews for their classes and you know just basically student feedback. she had left a comment about how there were kind of accelerated classes. She talked about the seven-week block of classes and how it was you know, convenient to try to work through that, but also that they did kind of go at a fast pace. So it looks as though she was trying to continue that education. But she worked for a center in Frankfurt, and this was called the George Washington Carver or GW Carver Academy. In one place, I did see it referred to as a center. The school That particular department of the school is no longer in operation and closed in 2020. And it was described as a program sought to bring assistance to students who, quote, needed more behavioral or social emotional supports, end quote. Now, I did also see some places on there how it talked about working with students who may have had some language barriers and The student that we'll be talking about um, did come from Guatemala. So that may have been the case. I'm just going by, you know, again, the limited information I could find based on the fact that G.W. Carver is no longer open. Kind of had to dig around for that. Now information about Nicole and the events that we're going to talk about came to light in September of 2016. And at the time when allegations were made, against Nicole as having an inappropriate relationship with a student. Almost immediately, I did start to see comments made on you know different articles whether it be directly on, you know the news sources page, on a Facebook page, just wherever it was shared, that it sounded like there was more to the story than there was. But I never really heard about it again and didn't think to follow up at the time, but this is where it brought me to the trusty Google, and trying to find keywords that I could use to find out more about Nicole and this case. According to the school district, she had worked with them for approximately three years. Now, I know that she graduated from Delaware Technical and Community College and had even um, made the Dean's List at least one time, as I could only find one copy of the Dean's List information. But she graduated there in 2014 in July, and it was stated that she had worked there for three years. So unless she was working um, like part-time prior to getting um, her associates or whatever certification she got from Delaware Tech, then the timing doesn't really line up to be exactly three years. Maybe they were talking about um, it was her third year or she was starting her third year, Um But again, if she graduated in July of 2014 and these events came to light in September of 2016, it has to be either one of those two things, either she worked part-time while going to school or they were just referring to how many school years she had been there not how many she had actually completed. So once the student did come forth and report that he had been in an inappropriate relationship with someone who was employed by his school district, she was arrested and placed on placed in the Sussex Correctional Institute with an eighty thousand dollar bond. Um, she was charged with four counts of sexual abuse of a child by a person in position of trust, authority, and supervision. And remember those words: trust, authority, or supervision, as they will be coming up. A lot. This particular charge would be considered a class D felony. And what that means is, um, as far as the position of trust, authority, or supervision, is she was in a role where she could theoretically um, sway or have sway on how he does in his classes, either by, you know, what she goes over, by what she teaches, or also by giving feedback to the other teachers about whether or not she feels he's doing Good in her in the classes, whether or not he's progressing, so she has some type of authority over him. Also, she's in a position of trust, as anybody who's employed by a school district automatically comes with this expectation that they will do whatever is best for the student, no matter what position they are in the school. So, you know, those are things that really come back to this, as Nicole and other people that we'll be talking about held a lot of influence or, you know, what I'm going to call sway over the students involved. Even though the reports about the relationship did not come until September of 2016, it was found that the physical relationship began as early as December of 2014 and that it had occurred at least four times in that month. Now, something that was unclear was were the students Um, was shown to be attending Sussex Central High School, and Nicole was reported to have taken him from the high school to different locations for these liaisons. Um, One place was back to Delaware Tech. She also went to the student's sister's home and also a church. So, those are three places that, at least that are known where they went until he actually moved in with her. In April of 2016, the student moved in with Nicole. So this is a relationship on a whole different level as compared to what we hear about more often in news. And I also just want to make clear some of my feelings on this. When I say relationships, I really hate saying that word, but there's really no other way I guess, to describe it, if you can think of any, let me know. Um, But a lot of times when I'm saying relationship, I'm really using it with air quotes because to me, someone who is in that position of authority or trust, if they're putting a student in that situation, it's not really a relationship. In the fact that, you know, we think of relationships mostly as being mutual, you know, mutual ideals um, or ideas of people coming together who at least have something in common and get along. That's not necessarily true here. While the actual meaning of the word, yes, it may cover the fact that the relationship that these people had were toxic, that they were not consensual. It still falls under the term relationship. I just hate using it in this context. So that's just kind of a, I guess you would say a pet peeve of mine. So just kind of picture it whenever I say it that I'm using air quotes. To outsiders looking in to this relationship, let's just say people who lived around her, her neighbors, they may have thought that this was just any other relationship between two young people who had just moved in together and not thought anything else of it. But as the information came out that um, the student had actually just moved out in September, one would have to think about the timing and be curious as to why... He had been in this relationship with Nicole for almost two years at that point. Why did all of a sudden he report Nicole for you know, this inappropriate relationship when they had been together all that time? But then he reports it just about a week after he moves out um, from living with Nicole. So while looking at this case, there was quite a history um, in the Indian River School District there were at least 3 other cases within a pretty short period of time that you know hit the school district it really you know rocked i'm sure a lot of parents faith in the district and the school and you know that's just kind of hanging on and we'll see that after this case you know someone else even tried to use it to their advantage so the first story or case that i came across was one of the actual principal having a relationship with a 17-year-old student. This occurred in 2008, and his name was Dana Goodman. Now, again, this was a relationship with a 17-year-old student, and he had been charged with 30, yes, 30 counts of fourth-degree rape. So at that point, he, I guess, decided it would be better to plead. Because I'm pretty sure if he was convicted on all 30 counts, if the sentence was served consecutively, then, you know, it would be a huge sentence. So he did decide to plead guilty. Um, There was about six months between his arrest and his court appearance. And he had said that he had changed a lot and a lot had changed, which would definitely be true about his career because I'm pretty sure he doesn't have that to go back to. But in what I can only imagine in my head as being this theatrical performance, he stood in the court holding a Bible and saying that he didn't have anyone to blame but himself. Looking back at Goodman's history, um, he was 38 at the time and had already previously worked for a number of Maryland school districts and these were North Dorchester Middle School. He was a principal there. He was assistant principal at St. Michael's Middle and High Schools. He also worked for Talbot County Schools. And at this time, he was principal of Sussex Central High School, which is within the Indian River School District. He did apologize to everyone, and I'm sure he said everything that people expected him to say, to apologize, to say he was wrong. And in the end, even though the defense attorney was hoping for probation by, get this, and we'll kind of come back to this later, is that she was technically only under the age of consent for some of their relationship, which again, can it really be called a consensual relationship if he held that much sway over her future being the principal of her high school? I really wouldn't say that even once she turned 18 and was of the age of consent, it was, you know, it just was not okay no matter when it was, whether it was two months before she turned 18 or two months after she turned 18, if she was in that school district with him as her principal. It just should not happen. But that was part of their strategy. And even despite this, the judge was like, no, no probate, probation because that's what the um, defense was going for. He was sentenced to 15 years, but only four of that had to be served in prison. He would serve the four. The 11 years was suspended unless he did something, you know, break any terms that that were there regarding his release, things like that. Otherwise, it was four years and then 11 years of supervision. You just kind of have to know that the defense was grasping at straws when the you know, the defense is well, sure he was her principal, but you know she she was over eighteen. It, it doesn't work for me. Um, they tried to really describe it as almost a love affair when it was not, definitely not. And you know, the the student that Goodman had forced into this. She said that, you know, after she graduated and everything, she said through a letter that she could not go through her life thinking that he could do that to another girl. So to me, she really showed a lot of courage and bravery and also thoughtfulness of thinking ahead because that's something that's very hard to see past. Um, you know, I've, I've been in a position where I had to report somebody, and it's very difficult. Um, you don't know what's going to happen, how someone will react to you, but you know, it's something you have to do so that hopefully bringing that forward can help others not be in that position in the future. So she showed a lot of maturity and bravery there, in my opinion. Now people did reach out to some of the schools that Goodman had worked at previously, um, Dorchester County said that they didn't have any complaints about him. And another school district, Talbot, said that, you know, no comment, basically, which we shouldn't read anything into that. It may just be a district-wide rule or requirement that nobody speak on a topic unless it goes through, you know, certain procedures. So they may just not have gotten a comment by the time that the article and reporting went to print. Now, the next... Event or incident, or just like Goodman's case, um, a series of incidents occurred with a teacher named John Thompson, where he had a relationship with a 15-year-old. Now Thompson was 27, so we don't have as much information about his teaching career. Um, you know, unlike Goodman, where you know he was 38, and we had some history about his previous employment. I really didn't see anything about Thompson. However, he had actually um, been voted as the commencement speaker for the year that he was arrested. And he was arrested in June of 2009. So one day he literally gave a commencement speech um, as voted on by the senior class. And within that same week, he was arrested for, you know, starting this this liaison with a 15-year-old, you know, a 15-year-old. Reportedly, his students really loved him. And I wonder if it was because he was a little bit younger or he could kind of relate to them more. And in some ways that may have put him in a perfect position to gain the trust of the students around him and for him to find someone to try to take it too far. And that's exactly what he did. Now, he received a sentence of 15 years, but 10 of it was suspended. So he would serve five. And just like with Goodman, then he would serve out the remainder under a supervision and, you know, follow all of these rules or parameters that were put there after his release. And one of them was he was to have no contact ever with any of his former students. So even if they wanted to get in touch with him as an adult, he was not supposed to do that. And the school district that week, well, Thompson was arrested on June 2nd. And on June 3rd, a full-time substitute teacher and athletic trainer, a John Rainis, was arrested. He was charged with one count of sexual extortion and unlawful sexual contact. So, like I said, besides being a substitute teacher, he was also an athletic trainer, and again, this was in a position where there may come a time where he's alone with a student, or he has kind of a hold over them, and that he is the one who was in charge of clearing people, um, you know, for the sports in which they wanted to participate. So it was at one of these times when a female student under his care had an injury and while purportedly trying to assist with the injury, he had touched her and she tried to stop it. But then he threatened her with that threat of not clearing her to participate in athletics at the school. So they did just charge him with one count, but it's believed that it may have happened a number of times in March of 2009. I was not able to find a punishment or sentence that was given to him. Um, so just to cover all bases, at the time I read the article, it was allegations because it had not gone to court, and I could not find you know any follow up on that. But again. For that week, the school district must have, they must have had like emergency meetings, I would think, to go over this because it was pretty much unfathomable that that could ever happen, but it did. We are going to jump forward a little bit in time, and this is in the beginning of 2017 in January. Now, we've covered three cases, you know, with names and at least the two sentences that we. We know about. There's also Nicole's case, which we have not completed. But in January of 2017, it sounds like one employee decided to bring all of that together and try to get his brother out of trouble. Now, this is one where I'm not going to give the full name of the person because I did find a student who had attended Sussex Central and also who's playing for another school that I mentioned, playing on the sports team. So, you know, like I said, by the ages, it's definitely not the same person, but I just don't want to put him in the middle of all of this. So I'm just going to use the name Mitchell, and that's what we're going to refer to him as. And this was a 41-year-old teacher whose brother was up for some type of disciplinary action, and it doesn't say what that was. But he tried to blackmail administrators in the district by saying that if they didn't stop the disciplinary action meeting from moving forward, that he would start to tell people that principals of the individual schools within the district were trying to cover up inappropriate relationships between the teachers and students. So I just started to think possibly was he using all of that knowledge about what had happened in the past, what had just happened with Nicole, and was using it to try to get, you know, um, to get his brother off from whatever he was in trouble for. And so to this point, it seems like we've gone a long way from Nicole, who we talked about at the beginning of the episode. But, you know, I wanted to give some background about what had gone on previously and, you know, why why does this happen and why nobody noticed? Because we're going to get, you know, a little bit more of information here. We already know that Nicole had picked the student up and taken him to places around the district. So did anybody notice that? Did anybody know her separately? Because if she picked him up from, you know, the um, Sussex Central High School and Nicole worked at the GW Carver Center, they may not have necessarily known her. Or did they? Did other students know her? So there's just a lot of questions that we'll still even have by the end of this. Now, I mentioned previously, just briefly, That the age of consent in Delaware is 18. And the student who came forward was showing as 17. He attended Sussex Central High School. And this is where those words trust, authority, supervision come into play. So, Nicole, when she was arrested, just she did admit to the relationship, but then kind of shut it down, wanted her attorney. But through the course of discussions with her, she brought forward something very interesting. Her attorney was able to provide the police with a birth certificate that showed that the student was not born in December of 1998, which would have put him at 17 years old in 2016. No, this was a birth certificate that said his birth date was December of 1995. So the school district has on file a birth certificate that shows he's 17, but Nicole, with her attorney, shows a birth certificate that is from 1995 and shows he's 20 years old at the time of these events. The police did contact Guatemalan officials and verified that the true date was 1995. So, just like that, the charges against Nicole were dropped but charges were brought against the student. He was charged with both filing a false police report as well as forgery. So here's the question for the poll that I'm going to put on Facebook. Do you think that the charges against Nicole should have been dropped? Now, there could be just a number of different questions that stem from that, such as should should the student have been charged with filing a false um, police report because... Technically, she was in a position of authority, trust, and supervision. So she was in a position to either manipulate or, you know, influence him in ways that other people couldn't. You know, she had that direct contact with other school officials that could make decisions about, you know, his upcoming future, even you know about when he's going to graduate. Um, just anything, pretty much. So she's in that position of authority. She technically fit the description to me at least of what she was charged with, but it was dropped. I don't ever see anything um, either through you know Google searches, through newspapers.com, you know, any of those types of archives, but it just seems like they were dropped and that was it. I'm pretty sure, or at least I'd conjecture, that it probably has had a pretty big influence on her teaching career and whether or not she was able to, you know, go forward with that. You know, honestly, I don't know if, you know, because she wasn't charged, if that affected it at all, or if she could just continue going on, you know, with getting her future degrees if she chose to, you know, or maybe not even officially, if people recognize the name and the incident, they may not want to hire her either. So we don't know that, you even though the charges were dropped, she may have still had other ramifications that we don't see. Now, as for the student, okay, yes, he did forge a document. And, you know, I, again, I'm not really sure about the whole filing of the false police report, because yes, he did give his age incorrectly on there. But considering her position that she had over him, I don't, think that should have been charged. This also brings up an even wider discussion as well. We don't know if he was afraid to come forward about anything because if Nicole knew his true age, she also could have been holding that over him as well in terms of trying to continue the relationship. Now, right now, this is just all conjecture because it brings up questions. And reading this, it brought up these questions in my mind. Now, what should happen in a case like this you know both parties did something wrong we just don't know you know as far as the student if it was something that was consensual or as consensual as it could be given that she was you know acting in a position of trust or if he felt like he had to in order to continue to do well in school but i think because the charges didn't continue a lot of these questions were never answered also um the birth date was incorrect on all of his immigration papers, and we don't know when or if Nicole knew about that as well. Um, we know that she had the, um, the birth certificate and could prove that he was over 18, but, but it could also be a fear of coming forward to report this because you're afraid that your documents might be looked at a little more closely, and so he felt he couldn't come forward. Or he may have been 100% on board with it. We just don't know. But again, at the same time, he was a student. Whether or not she knew he was over 18, um, he was still a student and she should not have had a relationship with him. We also have to question, should she have told school officials that she knew he had forged his school documents and immigration papers. That would be a very hard position to be in herself, you know, because she doesn't want to turn someone in if that was the case. And that's that opens up even broader range questions about what happens if someone who is concerned about their immigration status has a crime committed against them. What's their protection? Because if someone feels that they cannot come forward and report a crime, then that means that they never truly received justice by having that person prosecuted, that the person may go out and hurt others, so there's literally like 50 questions that are left unanswered or that we can continue you know, discussing to try to look at ways to alleviate some of these concerns, you know, whether it's putting in place you know, something stating that if someone finds information is incorrect on school forms and documents, that it must be reported immediately. I would think that would probably already be a rule, if not written, then at least kind of an unwritten rule. Um, but bottom line, no matter how old the student is, a teaching professional, whether they're an educator, a support person, anybody who works within the school district, you know, it's just not right no matter if the person is over 18, if that person is a student. So that's my opinion on it. So it'll be interesting to see everybody else's take. You know, I just kind of thought back to the principal who tried to use kind of a similar argument in saying, well, she wasn't of age for only part of the relationship. So that still did put him in the position that there were a couple of months where she was under 18. But that defense was almost laughable for him. Yet, in this case, all charges were dropped against her because he had forged the document. And if anybody is interested, yes, this is what was being hinted at in some of those um, comments you're talking about. And the thing is, I couldn't find the article where um, I had originally read about it years ago, but, you know, comments such as, well, what happens if the students over 18, things like that, where it would make you think that something more was to come, but just kind of missing it in all of the news that you get on your phone every day. What I think we can take from this is no matter what, when we send our kids off to school or to anywhere, even most people are perfectly nice, have good intentions. You know, they're there to help protect your child and guide them and just not do the things that we talked about earlier, but they do happen. So make sure your child feels like they can come to you Or if you feel like, you know, in talking with your child that maybe they feel more comfortable with a peer um, or a peer's parent, a doctor, you know, just someone else, make sure they know that there is someone, though. And, you know, if it is a peer's family, please don't take it personally. You know, they may just feel more comfortable telling it to someone, not their parents, someone who they still trust, but, you know, for whatever reason may be comfortable going to someone else the most important thing is that they know that they can talk to someone to make sure they you know build those bonds of trust and also if something does happen that those bonds of trust that they try to build with others that they can still succeed in that that the broken trust of those that were supposed to protect them that it won't stop them from being able to trust people in the future Okay, everyone. That's it with today's episode. Like I said, it kind of led me down a rabbit hole that I didn't think it would. If you do get a chance, please go in and participate in the poll. Um, If you have comments about why or why not, you think the charges should have been dropped, go ahead and leave that in the comments there. I think it'll be good to get an idea of, you know, what everybody's thinking in regards to the charges being dropped. I think you kind of know where my opinion stands but if you do leave a comment, please make sure we're respectful of everybody's different opinions, you know, as I can definitely see why this would be kind of polarizing. Um, some good news about the podcast is we're up to about 4,600 to 4,700 downloads and plays. So, you know, I was wondering if I'd ever get any listens, you know, because they don't have like a marketing budget or anything like that. Um, so I was just kind of wondering, you know, if you know, I even ever get one listen other than family or friends. So I really appreciate everybody who tunes in and listens. I hope you all continue, continue to do so. And with that, here ends today's episode and the next episode will be out in about two to three weeks, all right? Thank you all very much. Bye.